0: Hey y'all, this is Mallory Irvin, and it's time for all of us to live fully. It's so important in this crazy world of ours that we stay connected, inspired, and motivated to be and do our best. And that's not always easy. I'm here with my guests and friends to share the stories and lessons we've learned to help you live your best life every day and truly begin living fully. Let's make it happen and get started with today's episode. Welcome back to the Living Fully Podcast. I have an amazing conversation today with my friend, Jasmine Sweet. Um, This has been one that I've been trying to get on the books for a long time, and this conversation does not disappoint. We talk about everything from pushing through grief and how God kind of gives you these amazing supernatural powers— to the racial revolution that we've just experienced, to being lifestyle bloggers, to basically everything under the sun. And this is a really special podcast to me and a really amazing person that I'm gonna introduce you guys to today. So let me give my friend Jasmine a brief introduction. Jasmine Hockett Sweet is a marketing project manager at iHeartRadio headquarters. She's also an avid lifestyle blogger and influencer at jasminsweet.blog. She has written features in the Huffington Post, Southern Weddings, and Forbes. Through blogging, she has worked with numerous brands, including Spanx, Uber, Delta, Olay, HP, and more. Jasmine has an MBA from Union University. She graduated from University of Memphis with a degree in broadcast journalism. She's a proud member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority, and she is one of the most well-spoken people that I've ever spoken to on subjects sometimes that are, are hard to talk about. And you want to talk about a light? Jasmine and I spent about two hours before this conversation even started talking about everything under the sun. And she just exudes light and joy, but also just so much wisdom. And I'm proud to call her my friend. And if you guys don't follow her, you have to follow Jasmine on instagram. i'll I'll include everything in the show notes. But I've got to get to this conversation that you guys will not want to miss out on. So without further ado, my friend Jasmine. OK, so you guys have just heard my intro of my friend Jasmine, but and we have I just have to say, like we've been talking before the podcast for like two hours (laughs) (laughs) we really have (laughs) I I was like Jasmine what time do you have to leave here and she's like "Um I'm we can go about forty minutes, and then I got I gotta go. We're like both looking <laughs> at our clocks like oh, we, we've been talking for two hours. Because-
1: yeah, two hours just flew by the conversation and the energy was good. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, integrity and authenticity are things that we've been talking about. We've been,
0: <laughs> we, we've been we've been really having a great conversation and I just want you to very quickly Bring my listeners up to speed on just like who you are. Tell me a little bit about like what you do. How you got to what you do? (laughs) I got you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I am Jasmine Sweet, like something you eat. I always have to tell people that. (laughs) Well, because no one believes that Jasmine Sweet is my real name. Well, they
0: think it's like Sweat.
1: Yeah, they always say Sweat or like if I'm like waiting on some food or something, they're like, "Hey, Jasmine Sweat." Or (laughs) I'm like, "No, it's Sweet." And uh, you know, I got lucky because I married Mister Sweet. Uh So that's a fun fact about me. <laughs> it goes
0: perfectly with you.
1: Hey, oh, thank you. But he uh-huh. really is a Mr. Sweet. I, I thought he was pulling my leg, but he was serious. <laughs> and here we are 11 years later. We've been married almost four years. But yeah, so Jasmine Sweet's my real name. And in the blogging world, whenever I'm working with brands, they're always like, can you send over your full name, your government name? Because <laughs> you know, everybody in blogging, their name is like the farmhouse cookie. Or <laughs> <laughs> or your government the, name? The yeah, they're like, can you send over your real name? And I'm like, that is my real name. Your government <laughs> name is
0: like a handle automatically.
1: <laughs> I guess so. I'm like, listen, you got to make it entertaining out here. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Yeah, so okay. So my name's Jasmine Sweet, and I'm married to Mister Sweet, and I grew up in Jackson, Tennessee, which is the only city between here and Memphis. So
0: <laughs> okay, you know why I know Jackson, Tennessee? It's where Miss Tennessee is. Yeah, that's where
1: Miss Tennessee is. I went. I went to Jackson.
0: You went to school at the University of Memphis. Yeah, University of Memphis. Mm -hmm. Where'd you get your MBA?
1: I have my MBA from Union University. Union University in Jackson.
0: Um, and
1: then you've been in Nashville for how long? almost six years so the time has flown I feel like I've lived everywhere I've lived on Charlotte I've lived Same. in Brentwood Same. I'm like listen we've moved around Nashville but we love it and Nashville was never on our radar so Alex and I well mr sweet as y'all will know him <laughs> we were always just like we'll go wherever my career takes me because he's in sales and so you can pretty much do sales anywhere but for me with marketing it's a little bit harder to break into the industry and depending on what what you want to do with it, because marketing is so multifaceted. We were just like, well, we'll go wherever you get a job next. And so that was kind of our thing. And then I landed in Nashville. And when I say it was God's divine order that I'm here, like it was God's divine order. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I believe yeah. in
0: that hey, whole, wholeheartedly. And speaking of heartedly, so you came here for iHeart six years ago, correct? Not for iHeart. Okay. So
1: I moved here to work first for Meharry Medical College, which is the first black medical school in the United States. So, I didn't know that. Yes, right here in okay. Nashville. So they've actually been running all of the COVID sites. So if you are getting COVID tested in Nashville at Nissan Stadium, it's run by Meharry.
0: Well, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, and they're giving shots and doing the whole charade. So yeah, but they're the number one producer of African-Americans
0: with PhDs,
1: MDs, and DDS degrees right here in Nashville. You are really educating me
0: right now on that. I didn't didn't know that. And that is really cool to say that we have that in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, it is
1: super cool. So a lot of people, so Meharry is a smaller medical college, but Meharry, I think because it's Vanderbilt's like the main hospital unit here, everyone just thinks Vanderbilt, but people don't realize that Nashville is a healthcare mecca in general. And I mean, there is so many healthcare tech companies here. All the insurance companies have a base here. I mean, pretty much healthcare in Nashville really, really took off. But I think that's why people aren't familiar with it so much. But
0: yeah, I mean, Mahari does big stuff. That's well. Speaking of big stuff too, <laughs> and you just mentioned tech. You know, Nashville is the you know Nashville is the healthcare capital. Definitely, which is so funny because everybody thinks music, music, music. But it's like, no, we're actually really big in other things too. But speaking of tech, you and I were just talking about this off of the podcast too. So 5% you said about of tech is represented by women. Of that 5%, how many did you say is represented by black women? It's like
1: less than 2% is represented by black women. Yes. So we are few and far between in this space. So I... Yeah, I spent four years working at a HBCU, historically black college and university, and then right when the pandemic hit, so I actually started on the day of the apocalypse working in tech. So for oh iHeartRadio, yeah, you did mm-hmm. I literally went into the office on March sixteenth, twenty twenty, and my boss was like, "Well, here's your laptop. We're all going home." <laughs> <laughs> so, How? funny is that? Well, it was really crazy because here I am walking into a field that's not dominated by women or black women at that. And then this is my first experience in tech. I had been doing marketing for over 10 years. So I was pretty confident in that because I'd done marketing for healthcare, higher education, the financial realm. I had been a a social media manager for First Tennessee Corporate. I mean, I had so much experience that I was confident in the marketing um, aspect of it. But The tech side, I was like, oh.
0: And you're like, I'm just going (laughs) to learn from my colleagues who will be around me in this facility that I'm going to be showing up at work to. (laughs) Absolutely. So I started
1: showing up to Zoom calls where again, like there, there's not a lot of representation
0: of us in this field. So again, it's it's harder to learn on on Zoom. It's harder to have some side conversation about how does this work in this industry? And I, I mean, just just breaking barriers in so many ways, like yes, and that's for sure. Just- that's so wild, the timing of that. So I actually, I've
1: never celebrated a year anniversary at a job, but this year I celebrated my one year. Wow.
0: <laughs> when that, March 16th. That's quite the stat there. I'm going to back up to that stat. You've never celebrated a one year. Why do you just feel like the grass, just you just don't let, don't let now, the grass I grow on you for
1: too long? I've always been someone who is a career woman by default, but I also never wanted my job to define who I was as a person. And I think that our generation is definitely showing that. Like the, I read a quote the other day that said millennials have lived for over a millennial. So, <laughs> so I was like, well, that's true because I think uh, that's why we're all so defiant about who we are and what we can offer because we're like, we don't want these places to define us. We're going to define the places per se. So I've never like I've never like let a job be who I am. It's more so like, I celebrated because here's a whole year that I made it through a pandemic of doing living room concerts, I mean, writing copy for events that changed all of our all of our lives during the whole Black Lives Matter movement and our racial reckoning that we had this year to write and copy for, I mean, we had a, a number of deaths, COVID deaths of even celebrities. So any of that information, I also wrote that too. What's crazy, DMX passed a couple of weeks ago and before he passed Past, I was writing the copy because we kind of knew that it was coming down the pipeline. And my husband walks in the kitchen and he goes, I can't believe you have to write this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I mean, somebody has to do it. And so we have to be prepared to inform the world because those of us who work in media and also tech, we're the first responders in that respect. And so, yeah.
0: It's- so that's why it's, it's probably so important, even though you... I know how well you're doing in the blogging world too. And my first thought always is like, you know, why are they still doing their other job if their blogging income has just, if they're doing really well? And like, wouldn't they want to open up all that time and just go head first into this gravy train? But when you started explaining your job to me and this I mean, you, you ain't working at the iHeart on <laughs> Music row. like That's what we were just laughing at. Like you are a very high up position at, at the top of the top of, of iHeart and you are informing culture, which what a powerful thing to inform culture as a woman and as a black woman. And you're you're schooling all these white white men on how how things need to be said to this
1: day and age. Listen, like, I mean, I think one of the things that all of us in media have had to do over the past few years with battling with, you know, tech in general is taking huge hits because we're all discussing fake news and we're all trying to find the integrity amongst media. So I think we all have to find some accountability. Like I was telling you in our private conversation before we even started recording, even when I am trying to ideate the creative that I'm going to put with a campaign. If I'm going to promote something for Mother's Day, I want to make sure that everyone's represented for Mother's Day, including Black women and Asian women, and just any and white women and any 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 community needs to be represented because mothers come from all communities, not just one said community. And we're educating the general public through our marketing campaign, so that's something that like I've honed and learned throughout the years, and that's why I. Tell people, if I can do marketing for a financial institution and it's so straight-laced and stringent with all these regulations and I can do it for a health insurance company, I can pretty much do it anywhere.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. And what what a powerful role that is, and especially as we see our culture and the way that we think and the way that we strive to—you hope everyone strives to show up in the world a little bit differently, a lot differently— it is super powerful to have. Yeah. And like I know you, you mentioned role.
1: like we should all be making like big changes in our lives, but I think this is how you make incremental changes in people's lives is being able to be on this end of the serving of marketing because
0: the serving of marketing. Yes. Wow. Oh, that gave me chills <laughs> because it's like, isn't that what we all should be doing in, in marketing? In such an important yeah. marketing and so as important.
1: On social media, we're all catalysts for marketing. So yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's so oh I just love what you the serving of marketing. Cause you know, Jasmine and I had this really long conversation too, like off of the podcast about being accountable in a space of social media, about being authentic in a space of social media, how not to get distracted, and how does everybody just not become this conglomerate of everyone else around them? and I think if it could all come down to, to to serving on social media, because that's what I want to do. I don't describe it as beautifully as you just did with you describing your job at iHeart, but it is service to have all those eyeballs on you or ears listening to the campaigns that you're putting out in a way that's shifting culture. If I can look at my role in social media like that, which I feel that I do, if everybody could do that, how powerful would that be.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's, we all have the tools to do it though, is the thing about it. Like we all have access to social media. And I say all the time, like, Here's your opportunity to voice what you want to say to be a catalyst for change because we didn't have that opportunity years ago. I just got done reading Mariah Carey's book,
0: and Is she it talks. Good?
1: It's so good because it was
0: in like the top t- or top one hundred books of the year. So I was like, Oh, it was book. incredible. I have it in here. I'm gonna read it. Okay, you should. It's but one of the
1: you should interview her. But one of the oh, best parts about to. it was the fact that she was like when I was going through my mental health breakdown and the the news and the media were writing all these things about me. She was like the only way I had to communicate with with my audience was on my website. She said there was no Twitter community. Black Twitter wasn't coming to save me. No one, there wasn't Instagram stories where I could get on there and explain myself. And so now we have that option. We see all the time celebrities are clapping back <laughs> to people who are leaving crazy stuff on their page because now it's like you can't address a Kardashian unless you want all of them to come. Yeah. And say something back to you. So yeah. I think, you know, as everyday consumers of social media, we have to think about it in that way. Hey, you didn't have this megaphone five, 10 years ago. You did not have this megaphone. Yeah. So now that you have this megaphone, like use it to advocate for things that you're passionate about. I mean, it can be clean lipstick for all I care. Yeah. I mean, <laughs>
0: it's like, Isn't that the truth though? Yes. It can be anything. And if there is a space, so these are the things that we're passionate about. About, and it's a lot easier to talk about the things like lipstick and clothes and try on hauls and home chef than it is to talk about some of the things with this racial reckoning that we've had to talk about this year. And you know what's wild is like I have this whole list of questions that I had that, like, from knowing Jasmine, and I didn't have a lot of these questions on here, but like we had such a good conversation about it off the air that I was, I was like. I, I, and I want to ask at least a few questions about, about this, especially at the front, because you state it so beautifully, your answer. But you just said, like, we've got the megaphone now. People have given you so nicely the tools, the the reckoning and then the tools. But I think so many people are afraid. And even I myself, sometimes I'm afraid that I'm going to say things wrong that sometimes when I feel the like I want to say something, I, I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm saying this right. So I'm not going to say it. And that, and I hate that. I hate to say that about myself, but like, that's the, I'm being honest and transparent. And cause I know a lot of other people probably feel like this too, how they want the world to be a better place. And they feel like they're people that want to be cheerleaders for the people that people have for the black community that people haven't been cheerleaders for before, but they're afraid they're going to say it wrong. So they stand there with a megaphone in their hands and they don't use the tools. I appreciate when women like you can help people. Absolutely. Well, the door has to stay open. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The door has to stay open. These are relationships that have to be healed. We're all dealing with generational curses that have ramifications that we're all reckoning with now so it was a racial reckoning but it was a it was a, a i would even say like a different orientation of racial reckoning for our generation because I mean, we all went to school. We didn't grow up going to segregated schools. So I'm just going to use this example. My mom was the first to integrate into white schools. Whereas, you know, when when I went to school, my siblings and I, we all went to school with people who look like, who come from every community. And so I think our generation grew up, especially with the white community, you all grew up and you were kind of like, oh, well, what do you mean I'm racist? Like we all went to school together. It wasn't, it was wasn't displayed. It wasn't on full blast for us to have those conversations because it seemed like we had come to a place of healing whenever we all were allowed to do things to, together. When you no longer saw the colored sign above the water fountain, it seemed like those things had, I guess, dissipated and they didn't. And so it, we had to dig deeper when it came to actually seeing that racial biases still exist. And we had to work harder because those biases weren't so publicly displayed the way that they were in the 1960s somethings. And so when we when you and I were talking before this, and you were like, well, I just feel like I didn't even realize. I mean, how would you realize if you grew up and you didn't see these symbols of racism that our parents saw? We're a whole new generation. So we are having to come to terms with things that we didn't, you didn't see. As Black people, we're dealing with these biases all the time. So we have to assimilate into white culture. We have to just deal with it in a lot of instances until we can get to a place where we feel comfortable or we get fearless or we get tired and then we can speak up. And so, but for you guys, I think that the reason why I have so much compassion for teaching and being keeping that door open is for the simple fact that, hey, this generation didn't have the physical symbolism of racism. And so you guys have to dig a little deeper to see that it exists for people who don't look like you. And then you also have to show compassion to to and the will to want to learn a little bit more about it. So I That's mean that's the
0: best i have ever that is the best anyone has ever in in one year that's the best anyone has ever explained it to me Thank you for that, the gift of what you've just given me and my followers.
1: Well, I'm glad that I was able to articulate it in that way. I mean, it's obviously way more complex than that, but and that's why I said I'm, that's just one example of it. But I think it's just like my grandmother has slave bills of my aunt. Like I've seen that kind of stuff, but I mean, obviously you haven't. And so to apply that visual imagery of it, to to actually actions of you being able to get on your social media and use your megaphone it's harder for you to do it because it doesn't exist to you because you haven't seen it and so it's like we're all auditory or visionary learners this is we got to dig a little deeper our generation has to dig a little deeper so we have to you know talk to our friends and ask them hey, our friends who don't look like us and ask them for different things. I, I, didn't, I don't know much about a bunch of different communities, but I'm willing to ask those questions so, and, and not close the door because obviously they're raised completely different than I am. I'm, I mean, even from yeah. Christian faith to Muslim faith or what, what have you, I think we all have to be, have the compassion to know that there's something deeper there and the curiosity to want to wanna learn more.
0: And what I appreciate about the the open door, like you just described it, what a beautiful description that you just, I'm sorry I keep saying that, but that was just such a beautiful way to explain that. But I've never been a person that, or at least later, lately in my life, I, I used to be a, a perfectionist to like the, to, out of a scale of one to 10, I was a 10. I could not make mistakes. I got to this point in my life where I went through a lot of things and I really was able to do a lot of work and leave that behind. And I was able to be like, you know what? Not only can I make a mistake, but I can make a mistake publicly and I feel like this can help people in my household that live with me like my children and my husband. It can help people on social media see, you know, making mistakes is is such a critical part of growth. And when while you don't have to, and I understand when there are some advocates that don't want to be an open door because they've mm-hmm. just had it. Yeah. And I we can't blame them. Yeah. But I I just really appreciate that because that makes me want to go, to continue going deeper and to continue to feel like I can, like I, I the next time I feel like I want to say something, I'm going to say something because I feel like even if I make a mistake and say it wrong or... Feel like I've not done something justice in the way I tried to talk about it. Having that open door and the openness to allow people to dig deeper, and maybe it just makes it easier on me, I don't know, but that makes me feel a lot more empowered as a person that wants to help as a white woman move forward in this space. Yeah,
1: my husband and I were actually out to eat with my, I'm just going to say my white friends because mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't typically say my white friends, but since we're having this discussion. And so we were talking about having the access to have to to make a mistake, to say the wrong thing and then the ability to learn from each other so my friend Hannah and her her husband Sean, Sean they're white people and we were talking about names for children and they named their son Tobiah, and they're gonna name their daughter their biblical names but so we were we got on the subject of like naming kids and stuff and and how you know for our culture there's certain certain things that we would consider for even naming a child and so but we can have have those open conversations. And I think we got to get to a place in society where we can have open conversations about something so simple as like name choices to what it's like to be the only black person working at your job to what it's like to, you know, you want to understand more about black culture or or people who don't look like to you. I think it's like the openness of, of your culture too, of of white culture to also understand other people because the United States has changed a lot. I mean, I mean, multiracial children are, probably more prominent now than ever before. So even when we think about the generations, I spoke about our generation and how we're perceiving this racial reckoning. I mean, we've got a whole group of folks that are coming behind us. I mean, we're in our 30-somethings, but there's a whole group of people being born, all the quarantine babies that we'll hear about (laughs) this past year. And they will have a perception too. So it's like when we think about how to use our megaphones and the mistakes, the mistakes are all worth it whenever you're raising the next generation of folks. They're Mm -hmm. worth it.
0: Man, I wish I could just bottle up everything. (laughs) I just told you not, don't ever write a book because it's too much work. But now after 26 minutes into this podcast... I mean, my mom
1: integrating schools, it was worth it. Her going and getting a college degree, it was worth it. Like, you know, there there's so many things, people marching for equal rights. It was all worth it. But I'm pretty sure back then they also were all scared and they also had all that fear. But faith, I just got done reading John Lewis's book and he talks about the faith that he had to have. And I do not I don't know that I got that kind of faith. <laughs> Man. I always tell people if I oh, grew me, up yeah. in the '60s, I might not listen. <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I would have had that much peace. <laughs> but he talks about that that faith. But I think whenever some sometimes when when God takes you to that kind of valley, and that's the kind of valley we're all in with this racial reckoning, like that kind of valley you ca- you have to have so much faith that like hey i made a mistake i didn't mean to say it that way i mean i'm a white woman <laughs> Clearly, I don't know much about, you know, black culture, but I still would like to advocate. I still would like to stand by. I still would like to educate my friends and family. I still want my children to be exposed and acclimated to all cultures. I mean, my niece, for instance, is Kayla's daughter. She's in Houston. She's learning Spanish, Mandarin. She's three. But my sister wants her to be able to communicate with different audiences. And she's three. So I think it's like we have to program ourselves to to want to to have a vast ba- basically a vast like I guess foundation to work
0: from. Yes. Yes. That's that that is gosh you you the way that you say everything is just so perfect. <laughs> oh my god. You know what? I'm going to go into this <laughs> this other tough subject that is something that a lot of people struggle with and get stuck in. And this podcast is called the Living Fully podcast. So it's all about like living your, your best, like living a full life, which is full of valleys, like you've just talked about all different types of valleys, but it's about like not staying in that valley, not staying in that grief. And you know, you lo- you are very open. I read a beautiful blog post about you losing your dad. And I know you're close to your family because you're one of five kids. I've heard you talk about your family off off of this on your Instagram, you know, I've read about it and you wrote this really beautiful post about grief and gro- grief and growth, right? Is that how you, what you called it? You did this beautiful story about your wedding and like how you grew from this grief. I feel like it's a lot easier sometimes for people. I appreciate the vulnerability in our culture right now and that everybody shares the things that years and years ago, a lot of people didn't share. However, I think that some people start to be identified by their grief. They only want to talk about their grief. They can't find their way out of it. We've dealt with some grief this past year with what's happened in my family. And I've seen the most beautiful representation of my sister and brother in law. And you want to talk about faith, being able to pull themselves out of a situation that you would never think you could. So I want to talk about this because the way that you described this story was so beautiful. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your dad first.
1: My dad was me to the core. He was vibrant. He, (laughs) oh, yeah, you would have loved him. My daddy would have had a good time with you. You Mm -hmm. think I'm a good time? (laughs) (laughs) My my daddy, you would have been at Thanksgiving every year. (laughs) I mean, both Mallory and I both come from large families. So, I mean, we are, I I know you can identify with your house being one big old party for holidays. All the time. All the time. (laughs) And this is going to sound crazy, but we take in all the strays. (laughs) If you don't have somewhere to go for Thanksgiving and Christmas, like you can come to the Hockett House. Hockett is my maiden name. So, but my dad was just such a big personality. He was such a game changer. He was fearless. You want to talk about race relations? Like when there were hate crime church burnings in West Tennessee, you can Google the articles. My daddy rebuilt all those churches in West Tennessee. Because your dad was a
0: contractor. Yeah, he was right? a
1: contractor. Yeah. So, he was just he was he was here and he served every bit of his purpose. And when he left this earth, we all felt a comfort that like you cannot you, no one can give that to you but God. He had congestive heart failure and he struggled with it for about three or four years, he had a heart pump. Vanderbilt's team was excellent. If anybody's dealing with any heart issues, I highly recommend Vanderbilt's team. I mean, they literally, one time he was having an episode, and my parents lived in Jackson, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt flew their helicopter to my parents' house, landed in the front yard, and picked him up and brought him back up here to Nashville. And when we talk about divine order, so I told you guys at the beginning of the podcast that God placed me in Nashville is divine order. I was interviewing for jobs all over the United States. <laughs> I mean, I had interviewed for Boeing in Chicago, American Express in DC, but then God put me at Meharry Medical College in Nashville. And this is in 2015 when I first got here. And then my dad ended up passing away in 2016. And I always think like, what if I didn't have that one more year? And then he was in and out of the hospital at Vanderbilt that whole year. And my my, my parents would come stay with me or Kayla, because she was, Living in Murfreesboro at the time and I just think to myself like I'm just grateful that I got, even though I had to, we had to spend holidays in the hospital, you know, it was tough, but I'm just glad that I got that opportunity. And then the day my dad passed, my sister-in-law, who is a neurosurgeon nurse practitioner at it at a clinic in Memphis, a Baptist in Memphis. Well, she's so she called me. And what's crazy is my dad had a stroke. They were in Memphis visiting my brother. My dad had a stroke and her hospital was the only hospital that could handle the heart pump and besides vanderbilt so like i told you guys they had vanderbilt would have to fly him up here or he would have to go to the one hospital in memphis that can handle the ilvad which is the heart pump so she was working at that hospital as a neurosurgeon, nurse practitioner. And when my parents were down there visiting and she was like, we got to take him to my hospital now. And so she called the next morning. She called Mr. Sweet and she said, y'all need to come on. He's not going to make it this time. And I'm going to cry for a number of reasons, but I am not sad. I Grief is something that I deal with every day, but I know that my daddy is is here with me through all my laughs. He's here with me through all the fearless work that I do. He is here like through literally any trial or triumph. When I celebrated one year at iHeart, I'm like I wish my daddy, you know, was here for this, but I know he's here. When I bought my house, like anytime I've ever moved apartments, my daddy's moved all my stuff for me. I'm like, you know, I know he would have been here. But I will tell you when he passed, it was the most beautiful and angelic thing. He passed six months before my wedding. I have to say that like his passing, I, I've always been terrified of dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been I'm like laughing and crying at the same time. <laughs> listen. I've always been like, listen, I don't care who it is. If I wake up and Mr. Sweet's dead, he's just gonna have to be dead. <laughs> Cause I'm leaving the house, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) so my (laughs) sister-in-law called that morning (laughs) and Alex and I go down to Memphis and I'm a hot wreck on the way. And Kayla's Valerie, my older sister lives in New York. She's flying from New York. Kayla was in Minneapolis for work. She's flying from Minneapolis. My brothers, one's in Memphis and the other one's in Jackson and everyone's on the way. And my mom's already there, obviously. And they were married for 44 years. So she's by his bedside, like, you know, saying goodbye. And then we all get there and we grew up Church of Christ. And so if anybody knows anything about Church of Christ, it's acapella singing every Sunday. There's no instruments. It's pure, like we all sing in my family. And so we literally all held hands around him and we literally sang him onto heaven. And the nurses were crying. The doctors were crying. Everybody in the hall, I mean, the family that were visiting other people in the unit, they were all crying. And there was just an ethereal peace and then a supernatural replacement that God gave us. So I remember my brother was hugging me and I was just in shambles. He was like, well, you can't be selfish. Like, you know, he did everything he was supposed to do. And at at the second that was when I first walked into that hospital room and I saw that you know this was really it. But then after we all sang him off to heaven, I'm telling you, God they gave a supernatural power to like keep going. And I think that He gives anybody when people say crazy stuff after you lose somebody. They do. I mean, no. they don't know what to oh, say, I, yeah, so they heard, say crazy I stuff.
0: <laughs> I know <laughs> the things they so, say too.
1: People would. Be, I mean, even now people say to me, I don't know what I'll do with my my mama died. I don't know what I do when my daddy died. <laughs> You're like, well, I do. I know what I because I'm You doomed. keep up. You get your you get your stuff <laughs> together oh, and you keep God. it moving. And God gives you a supernatural power that nobody else can give you. And so my sister says the same thing. It it is. It's a supernatural power. It's like, you know, you can it, people say that you can... I don't know why people don't choose the supernatural power because I will say you have to choose it. You have to be ready to receive it because it's there. You just have to be ready to receive it. It's. I mean, my daddy is with me every step of the way. I mean, I just had two friends, two of my best friends, lost their dads to COVID, one on Christmas Day and the other one shortly after New Year's. And I was able to testify and help them through their process. One of them, her, her dad was from Africa. And so he actually passed in Africa. They were all there for New Year's and he caught COVID. And so... I was able to help them through their situations. I mean, all the way down to here's what happens when you go to the funeral. Like, I mean, grief is different for all of us. But I was like, I mean, when I went to the funeral, I was almost on the casket. <laughs> so just prepare yourself before. I love it that we can
0: laugh about this though, because I you mean, just you just gotta laugh. But I, what you just said about like you have to accept the, this, that supernatural power, you have to be open to it and you have to accept it. That's the, I asked you the question in the very beginning, like, how do you not stay in your grief? I see so many people stay in their grief. That, that's, that's the answer. That's really, that's the answer. And I, I you put words to what I saw my sister do. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, it definitely feels like you're in some virtual reality or like a bad dream at first. But then you just start to got the supernatural power starts to like heal you in a sense. It almost gives you this this peace, but also understanding that this is not your show, sister. This is not your show. This is God's show. You're just a player in the situation (laughs) and you got to get your wings. And and fly now. Like my daddy's not here to move me anymore. He wasn't here to walk me down the aisle six months after, uh, after he passed. You know, it, there's always the possibility that we're gonna get our supernatural power because none of us know the time or the hour. He tells us that. And so, but you have to be ready to receive it. And then I was just talking to one of my friends that lost her dad. And I said, but what if you knew that he was going to die on said date? You wouldn't be able to grasp that supernatural power because you'd be anxious. You'd be sad. You'd be upset. You'd have to stay in that grief. But because none of us know, we have the ability to take the supernatural power but we couldn't we couldn't do it if we knew the time and the hour
0: that that is so true and perfectly stated, and such a A testament to that's one of the worst losses, losing a family member. Oh, a
1: parent is like probably, I mean, it changed me.
0: I can't imagine. Yeah, it changed me. I am very grateful. Listen, don't
1: argue with me about anything because I promise you I don't care. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) because I've been through. I've been through worse. But (laughs) the fact that you took that and like, I just love what you just said too about like you, you, it, it's you're not your show. It's not your show, sister. It's God's show. And how you took your wings and you, you learned to fly. But it's it's very much alongside your your dad still. That's just everything that you say is like a poem. Oh my goodness! Stop it. <laughs> I see why you're in marketing. <laughs> very, it's very clear that you are very much serving, and the role that you're. In, in corporate America, that you're very much serving in the space that you're in on social media, even the the wild jungle that it is. I know it's the wild about. wild west out here, <laughs> and that you've just served a whole big group of people listening to this podcast too. And it's like I had like ten questions about goofy stuff like procrastination and 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 marketing in today's culture and uh, how how you do it all. But you've just very beautifully shown us so we just dug deeper. Yeah. (laughs) And that was really an awesome, awesome conversation. I'm always down to dig deep. I'm
1: always down to dig deep. I think that, you know, all the stuff that I've been through, I know for a fact, I'm supposed to share it. I know for a fact, I'm supposed to testify and help people. So yeah, I mean, that's just who I am. It's part of me. (laughs) <laughs>
0: man, I know this is God's show, but it's kind of like a ja- the Jasmine show too. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching I'm watching that. Show. <laughs> I'm watching all the seasons is this from a new now reality on. <laughs> show. <laughs> man, this is a perfect place to end this podcast because the conversations that we've had today, You want to talk about living fully, like living fully and being a real advocate, like living fully and serving in a space that maybe you didn't think that was a space of service. Living fully when you endure something, whether it's something like the grief we've been talking about, losing a a nephew or losing a dad, or it's the grief of losing a relationship or a job during COVID or losing anything. That's such a powerful way to, to... to talk about losing and being open to the guidance that God is, is going to grant you upon losing that
1: Because it always gets better. You never lose anything that is yours. It always gets better.
0: I don't even need to look up the Oprah quote anymore because you just, you just gave me like 10 quotes that are better than my Oprah quotes, okay? That was awesome. Okay, Jasmine. Well, I, I thank you on the behalf of not only me, but all of the tens of thousands of people that are going to get to listen to this podcast because what a beautiful gift you've just given us in this podcast. So thank you for being on today. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to let you go because it's Friday night and we're going to hang out against. We You want to get together next week yes, or what? it's going to be
1: the Mallory and Jasmine show. <laughs> the
0: Mallory, Jasmine, <laughs> and Jesus show, y'all. Yes, 100. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to the Living Fully podcast. I'm going to put everything Jasmine Sweet, which is her government name, <laughs> in the show notes, her Instagram and her her blog and everything so that you guys can find this wonderful woman that is Jasmine. So thanks so much again, Jasmine. Thanks to you guys. Tune in next Monday for more. Thanks for joining us on Living Fully with Mallory Irvin. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single minute of encouragement and inspiration to live your best life. Want more? Join us on malloryirvin.com so we can connect with you on Instagram and YouTube. Start living your life now. You've only got one. We'll see you next time.